Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Evolving Mindset podcast. Uh, we have greatly received funding from the Steve Morgan Foundation uh, and they have kindly donated uh, our equipment for us to be able to do these mental health podcasts. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Hugh McCauley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Phil. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic that uh, you could come on. I know we've been trying to arrange this for a while now. So to some of our well, listeners, do you want to just explain a little bit about yourself and, and um, your background and what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. So I'm an ex-footballer. Um, for people who don't know me, I retired just before I was 31, leaving school and going into full-time football. Um, and then when I finished playing football, uh, I had a few companies. One was backed by the Professional Football Association. Um, I own... Formy Football Club and a, and a big parcel of land in Formy, which we're looking to build a new stadium, bring Formy Football Club back and uh, sell the land uh, to retail employment users to pay for the stadium. Uh, my day-to-day job, Phil, is I'll meet I'll meet you, you've got a hotel, and I've got an investor who wants to buy the hotel, so I sit in the middle, so I'm basically like a bit of a middleman, really, and that can be due with finance or buying houses, property. Uh, I look after quite a lot, a lot of the football lads as well, and getting them investments when they finish playing. Uh, looking to buy a, a professional football club at the minute in Scotland uh, and um, relocate the club for uh, there's a house and play there really to move the club to get the club a brand new stadium which is great and also bring much needed housing for the area so do quite a few things um, so sounds very glamorous but it's not it's good it's hard work it's hard, it's hard work it's late nights and uh, a lot of sacrifice but it, but it's uh, it's worth it and uh, I believe uh, when things work out down the line, you know, it'll be all worth it uh, when it comes when it comes to fruition. Absolutely. Uh, I think a few people look at what we do and go, and a bit like yourself, they look at, oh, they just see the surface, don't they? Yeah. And, and we and we call it, we call it, we laugh all the time. It's like the iceberg model of success. No That's one right. sees, no one sees the late nights, no one sees the graph, That's no right. one sees all the ugly stuff that gets done. Yeah. Yeah, you can just see you see people and they go, oh, well, they look as yeah. if they're doing well, or they don't realise yeah. how hard it's took to actually yeah. even get get us to where we are now. Is took it, it's nearly killed us if we're honest with you. My, but my own, yeah, I totally agree. My own son Phil said to me um, when he, he's eighteen now, but he said to me, "I was all right for you." I was talking to him on this. It's all right for you, Dad. You, you know, you became a footballer. I said so. I just became a footballer today. Just it was just all right <laughs> for me. Was I woke up one night, got out of bed, it just happened. I said, "Okay, it doesn't really work well like that." But uh, it, it is, yeah. People just see the iceberg, don't they? They see the top of it. Yeah, that's it. I, I remember as a as a young lad uh, before I before I joined, I'd be down the field every single night in the yeah. pitch black. Yeah. In come home covered in mud from head to toe. Walk yeah. past, walk past me mum. My mum just shakes her head. Get straight into the bath with them. Yeah. I was literally you couldn't. I was just covered uh, yeah. from head to toe. That, that yeah. was that was yeah. five, six, seven times a week. You'd come that's back right. in. Yeah. Um, and but that is the, the dedication that I needed because I knew I needed to get better and better and better and, and keep I, I, and then further down that line when you get a contract or whatever that's that's the that's the tip of the iceberg isn't it but it, it's all it of is. the graft of developing yourself working hard getting yourself as fit as you can yeah um, best touch you working on your touch working on your areas of development as yeah. well so yeah I totally agree yeah so I wanted this podcast you uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Some of the, I didn't know some of the stuff you mentioned as well. So it sounds fascinating around what you're doing in Formby uh, yeah. and also up, up in Scotland. Now, we've just received some funding um, around supporting men's mental health in Sefton. Yeah. You know, so it's something that we, we, maybe we could do a bit of collaboration on as well. Definitely. It'd be free for the, free for the people in, in Sefton. Anyone who's listening, in, in, listening to this, please get in touch. Um, and we're just passionate about people talking, people yeah. talking about mental health, people opening up. You know, I've had my own journey. I've talked about it many times on the podcast. And my biggest thing was because I kept everything bottled up. Yeah. And my only recovery due will come by talking. So genuinely just being emotionally genuine people and telling people when I was struggling and what was going on and not having that fear around how I'm going to be judged or whatever. But there was a lot of ego that I had to get rid of first. Oh to yeah. enable me to do that so that's what this project's about this is hopefully getting the men in Sefton to open up about if they're struggling uh, and, yeah. that, and that it's a safe place to do so and it's okay you know and yeah. uh, that's what we're hoping to do so around football and mental health they're my two biggest passions as you, as you know yeah. um, so I really wanted to explore when 
what your difficult moments were as a footballer mentally. You know, whether I'm not saying you had any mental difficulties, but what mentally did you find the most difficult when you were playing? I think I mentioned about this on Facebook. I don't go on Facebook much, but when I've been asked by quite a lot of parents and kids to talk about my gym, it used to hopefully help a few. And, and I mentioned about when we spoke about it before we came on here, um, when you're in school, uh, you know, I was first year in high school playing for the fifth year team, you know, four years, five years above myself. I was playing two years above myself for Sefton boys, all that type of stuff. You know, you're just, you're just flying and without a care in the world. Everything's just so natural. My first biggest mental... When I really actually thought, whoa, what's going on here, was when I went to Liverpool, um, I was 16. I went to Aston Villa first and I came to Liverpool and um, I'd been there from 10 to 16, but then I went and played with the first team and the pros there. And then you actually realise, wow, how good these lads really are. And you have to adapt quite quickly. And I always remember the staff saying it's sink or swim time. You don't get any time, as you know. You've either got a bed in or you're going to fall away and you have to learn really, really quickly. And I've mentioned as well to people, people think that the lads run quicker than you, they're fitter than you. They're not, they don't run quicker than you. They're not fitter than you. They don't do more miles per game than you. But the biggest difference is how quick the ball moves. The ball moves far quicker than when you're playing with your youth team lads. The their touch is far superior. Every one of them want the ball. They smash the ball into you from 10 yards. And I remember Jan Morley, first time I ever played with him, he passed the ball into me and before I even got myself ready to receive the ball, Phil, it bounced off my shin. I remember getting hammered by Ronnie Brown saying, get hold of it. I remember, I nearly said to Jan, hell, Jan, take a bit off it, will you? But it was, it was, it was like a yeah. shot, do you know what I mean? But, you know, you, after a few months, you fit in yourself and you realise that you've got to pass the ball in quicker. And, uh, but that was the first challenge for me, dealing with, wow, these lads are, you know, don't get wrong, they were some of the best players in the world and in Europe then. But, You've got to, you've got to make a living. You've got to, you've got to basically fit in, or you're going to let get, get, uh, let go in a few years. So that was the first, that was the first tough part of football for me. When everything else had been great, you know, flying the journey, school, Sefton boys, all that Merseyside boys, and the next minute, local football club. This is a different story now. Mm, uh, and that was the, that was the first tough one. Yeah. I was I was sort of smirking there. Uh, I'm on I was on the opposite south of sides of what you've just said. Uh, when I drifted out of of the pro game into non-league, yeah, I remember I remember some of my first sessions, and I'd be pinging it into them, yeah, yeah. and they'd be like, take some exactly what you said. What the hell? It was like I was the one who was wrong. Yeah, I I was just used to playing with better players with better, right. and, and that was the way that game was played. So when I started drifting into non-league. I did have that sort of, is it me? Or yeah. I had that battle. It's only when you just explained that it, it's 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 clicked yeah. in my head. No, it yeah. wasn't. I was wasn't. used to playing at a higher level. And yeah. then when, when I was coming to, I'm not saying I was better than anyone because I'm not, I'm no. not mean that. But then when you were pinging it in like what you would do in the, in the pro game, yeah. into players that are tra only training twice a week, it felt like there was a missile coming at them rather than yeah. a pass. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I struggled yeah. for the first season coming yeah. out of pro. Into, into, yeah, adapting where I had to start taking taking stuff off my pattern and stuff like that. So it's really, I didn't really think about it until you just yeah. put it put it that way. I remember one of the lads at Liverpool, one of the coaches saying to us, good players can make you look absolutely fantastic, but bad players can make you look absolutely terrible. <laughs> I, never got, I never got what he meant, but as, as I moved up and down the leagues, I realised yeah. that some lads don't actually want the ball off yet. You know, I was, I was classed as a ball player, so I wanted the ball all the time, but there were loads of lads that I played with, and I won't name names, but you couldn't find them. I call them. A, I call yeah. them a ghost. You know. Yeah, and, they, go, they go missing. Yeah. You know, yeah. They'd want it when you were three in the up, but when you were nil nil or two nil down, don't give me the ball. And you do that. That happens regularly. I tell you, I assure you. And all players, rather than having it, you you give them rolling it into midfield. You're like, no, you need to be clipping channels there because yeah, you don't yeah. want it. You don't want That's, it. what you're hooking it on, yeah. or, or or you yeah. know, to, oh, brilliant. I've, and from anyone listening from the football side of things, what people don't realise is. If I pass the ball to you and I pass it improperly and I ping it into you, I've killed your opponent's time because he can't get near you. Where if I if I sort of hit it in a lot slower, yeah. it's given that lad a lot more time to get close to you. So that's the real that's the reason why the ball moves quicker. So they, they 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 see that they help you out in terms of your opponent and, and receiving the ball. Really, that that's and that's the main reason. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um. You know, I had, I didn't have a, a full career, nowhere near. I had a glimpse of it. I, I, had, yeah. I, had, I had a few years. I was really, I still 
look back at it, it's probably the happiest times of my life. You know, so yeah. fortunate. Everything I always wanted as a boy, I got. You know, let yeah. my dreams. You know, it didn't last. You know, like like it doesn't for so many. And yeah. I, I have I have really got a passion for supporting young, especially young people yeah. who have may have been like like me, maybe have been at a club for a long time. Promised the world was told because yeah. I, I was really tall and then I stopped growing and everyone okay. overtook me. I'm six foot, well, five, just under six foot. But now I was probably like that when I was really, really young, maybe even 13s, 14s. So as you can imagine, oh yeah, he was a good, being a, oh, I must have been a good player. I must have been. Yeah. Oh, such a unit, such a big lad as well. You know, every, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of interest. So you do get promised all sorts. And then when I was released, it was like, I can't even, it was like I was numb. It's the only yeah. way I could describe it. Yeah. And I just don't know whether clubs, and it's just an honest conversation. I'm not going to name clubs because it's not about that. It's more a discussion around, do you feel clubs back then when we played, and, yeah. even, and even today, yeah. do, do enough for when players are, are released? or Because I believe, I believe, I genuinely believe with a real passion about this, that they've still got a duty of care for them. Yeah, you know that these young players have signed up on youth contracts, all these sort of things, and it's almost you know the game. It, it is a very cutting edge yeah. business. Football, yeah. it's about money. It's about the better player. You can be the best player. A trialist comes in, you know he's the best thing since sliced bread. And you're yesterday's news. Yeah, it's all, of it's all about, and you can just be shifted out, and yeah. side sidestepped. So do you feel as if uh, quite a long sort of thing? What I'm trying to build up to here, but. Uh, it is something that I'm curious about whether other people feel the same way I do, whether clubs do enough for these players once they release them. It's almost as if, like, go on, you're not, not our responsibility anymore. But I believe, yeah. the, I believe they are. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right. It's, you know, when I left Liverpool, I was 19, and we just won the uh, European, we won a European Championship tournament. We beat Barcelona, beat Madrid. The lads were great. Um, you know, probably six months later, 12 months later, all of those lads were, were let go. Uh, including myself, so it shows you how the stand, how high the standard is. Mm. Um, but you are right. I mean, it's moved on a lot since since we finished playing, obviously. But there's still a lot of work to be done, and, and you're right to bring that to bring that up. Um, you hear some horrific stories about lads taking their own lives, yeah. Especially, yeah. especially this year. I think it's a combination, Phil, of the parents and the club working together. I mean, it, it's very difficult. I've got to. I've got. I've got an 18-year-old and a 10-year-old and I've got a stepson who's 17 and it's very difficult to say to your child in any walk of life, you're not going to make it because you never know what can happen in a few years. You know, kids can turn around, the penny could drop. But I think you know deep down that they're not going to make it pro. They might have a good non-league career, which is great. And mm. I've always worded it in a way of saying to my lads, look, let's enjoy your football. Let's see how we go. Um, do well in school, which I didn't do. Get your education. What other what, what, what other things do you like? Well, like architecture or like maths. Okay, well, what about going to university? But keep, but keep pushing the football as well. Mm. Um, and just sort of, I've seen a lot of these parents, and again, we don't need to name, name names, but I see a lot of these parents who build the kids up, you know, they're the best things in sliced bread, just, just because you're a decent player at school. Mm. It doesn't work like that. And I think they build these kids up so much that when they have a, a knockback, you can't catch them, and they just keep falling and falling and falling. And unfortunately, you're hearing kids who are taking their own lives and, and, and other disaster stories, which should never ever happen. Um, yes, the club should be doing more. Uh, I, think the, I think the PFA are, on, are aware of it and other, other governing bodies, but I'm sure these football clubs they have got a duty of care to look after the players, how far they go. Obviously, they're a business, um, they need to money, make money, they need to win games, they've got a and new 30, 40 lads coming behind them. But I think what parents don't understand, Phil, is someone said to me a while ago, I don't think they were putting me down when they said this. I just think they were negative to the surroundings of what football brings. And they were talking about their own lad. And he said to me, as long as my lad gets to Derby County or Nipswich, I'll be happy. And he hasn't let anyone down, he said. And I said, mate, my, my mate's captain of Nipswich. He's on 28 grand a week. But well, he was on 28 grand a week, you know, might not be on his left now. But do you realise that these lads, these lads aren't just normal footballers, you know? I mean, I never played in the Champions. I played League One or Two in a conference all my life. These lads are fabulous footballers who are super fit. 
And this like his lad Phil wasn't in a club. He was 15, playing for the school team, a good little local player. But his comments of he won't let anyone down. I, yeah. I, I sort of have to say, and, and he said it's not hard to make a living off the game. He said, he said, understand the premiership. He said it's difficult. But and how I broke it down for him because he was one of them guys, whatever I said, it wasn't going in. So I said to him, okay, I said, if you think of it like this, if you take the premiership out of it, there's 72 league clubs from League One, League Two and the championship. Mm-hmm. Just call it an average 30 players at each club and only 11 can play. But let's just call it 30 lads in a squad who are getting a job. You know, 70 times 30, 2,100 odd jobs. And that's worldwide. People are coming to England to play in our league. Yep. And that's from an age group of 18 to, what, 35? Yeah. yeah. And when you think about the numbers, Phil, it's this ridiculous amount of people going for them 2,000 jobs. And year on year on year on year on year, you're getting older, young lads are getting fitter, young lads are coming up. And that conveyor belt, you've got to keep yeah. your job. So to say it's easy to make a living, it's, 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 imagine, imagine having 2,000 you know, electrician jobs in the UK and all of the electricians in the UK trying to go for these 2,000 jobs. And if you haven't got one of them jobs, you can't be an electrician. So it's very, very difficult. Very difficult. I've, I've never done it like that, the way you've just said it, but it's so powerful. And it's such, it definitely does need to be out there and some education does need to be around the parents because I've seen it. I, you know, I, I love grassroots football. I, you know, I'm a local. Yeah. I'm a local lad. I love football. I'll watch any game at any age yeah. at any. And I have to walk away. What I what it, I see what I, what I see on our parks. I have to walk yeah. away from the parents, the way they're speaking to the, the children. They've made a mistake yeah. or or whatever, and or just the expectations of managers at, at, at like eight and nines, and and it's like yeah. people get so consumed by that's their biggest thing in their life is their sons football or, or whatever and they're putting all of their maybe hopes, dreams and aspirations yeah. onto that young person who may be a decent player but them stats tell you that only yeah. that's very small it's like winning the lottery when you start, it is. Putting, it, when you start it is. putting it like that it yeah, yeah. You know, I know I, I, most of them haven't played no, and I'm not being disrespectful I'm not saying that yeah you have your son you have to play football for your son that, that's, that's not what I'm saying what most of these people don't realise that they haven't played before and why should the son have this God-given right just to make it? It doesn't, it doesn't, that's not the case. You know, I've seen, you, you know yourself, you see a load of kids who are fantastic up to 16 and then they filter off and they don't go any further. And then you see it the other way where kids come out of nowhere at 16. Yeah. And, yeah. and w- w- where did that come from? So I don't even listen to anyone when people say, oh, this kid's decent and this kid's decent. I think it's all like being decent when you're 12, 13. Yeah. You've got to be decent when you're 21 or 22. So that's, that's, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's the measure, it. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Gotta keep, absolutely. You got to keep going, you know. Yeah, and I think uh, it was one of the things why I reached out really is that when I saw your post around trying to help parents and trying to help uh, fundamentally, I'm why I wanted to come from it from the mental health side of it by saying, you know, you mightn't you mightn't realise the parents what to do, but exactly. some them, but some of them are setting you know the, the, these so unrealistic sort of standards in the gold standards in their own heads and the. And they're setting the young people up. When you think about the percentages, like the way you just explained it, it's going to be 99% of them are going to fail, if not more. Yeah, 99.9 probably. probably. Yeah, probably 99.9% of them are going to fail. But as that young person who that's happened to, myself, is I found it extremely difficult to to come to terms with. So I had a lot of self-esteem issues i had a lot of um rejection mentally i didn't deal with it very well i didn't didn't know it at the time i know it now yeah. i know yeah. it now at 45 i'm looking back on my life now reflecting going oh my god i could see myself yeah and i've had loads of i've had loads of conversations with the likes of jimmy ball who's been on he was in my team we lived yeah. together we lived together oh. and when yeah. we've had conversations like this he was like oh my god phil yeah i can see that now we couldn't see it at the time but he knew yeah. i was struggling mentally you yeah. know, I, I had I had issues going on. I always I was like super negative. Um, yeah. I think I was always someone's going to come in and take me place. Someone's yeah. going to do. I was always looking on, and and I think in myself, I think they call it imposter syndrome, where I never felt good enough. No. People would people would tell me I was, but in my own head, which is the most important thing, 
I never felt good enough. I never, it was always, yeah. I was always going to get found out or I was just lucky. I've got a lucky break or this or that. Yeah. And I think I was a big barrier to my own career. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, I, I, when I was in Liverpool, Ronnie Moran, obviously, who was a legend, as you know, he, I remember he sat me down one day just talking. I was what, 19. He knew I was getting let go. And, and he said to me, technically, you know, you're good enough. You're all good enough to be at the club. Um, and you may be good enough to play in the first team technically, but mentally you're not there. And I, I never understood really what he was saying, but he was absolutely, he was right. You know, mentally I wasn't tough enough to play in that environment at 19. At 21 I was, because uh, I became a man, but I wasn't good enough to play in the first team, I'm not saying that. But mentally I was there and I was playing league football at 21, playing against men, getting whacked everywhere. I, I could deal with it then, but at 19 I was probably still a boy. Um, so I sort of started realising that, but... It's funny you say about you, the, the mental side of it with yourself playing because when I, I played for League Town in the conference when, uh, when I was about 20, 21, and I met a lad called Ray Newland, great lad, Ray, goalkeeper. Yep. I know, I know, you know, I know Ray, yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and Ray sat me down and uh, I thought it was a wine. You know, the lads are like winding people up all the time. And I thought, and I was always messing around and winding the lads up. And he said to me one day, can, you, can we have a coffee? And uh, I used to travel him with Ray. And uh, he sat me down, we just spoke. And... He was coming out the game as I was sort of coming into the game, really. He was a bit, he was a bit older than me. And uh, he had businesses and he was doing okay. And he sat down and said to me, I'm going to write this list for you. And uh, I thought it was a joke, Phil. I, I actually thought the lads had done it. And uh, it was basically 20 points about me. And it was stuff like, my name's Hugh McCauley. I'm the best player in the team. Um, I'm going to score so many goals this year. Uh, by the end of the season, I'm going to be in football league. I'm going to get a move. People pay to watch me play. And I thought it was a joke. I said, Ray, what the hell is this, mate? Come on. And he said, just please read it every day. He said, I believe in you. He said, you shouldn't be, you should be playing in the league. Read it every day. And he said, read it in the morning, read it at night, read it at day, go to work, keep reading it before games. And eventually, Phil, I bought into it. And within two or three months, my game just changed. And a lot of people said to me at the time, what happened to you? And I'm convinced, looking back, I, whether it was true or not, I believed in everything that I was reading. And nothing mattered if I give the ball away it didn't matter if I had a bad game it didn't matter there was another game on Tuesday so my mental strength went from zero to probably a hundred just by someone sitting down and giving me that time now it's it's massive now you know people are in the game going in talking to these clubs you know remember Glenn Oddle bringing in the lady years ago I think it was about talking to yeah. the players but that that was 25 years ago and I that exercise really really helped me out and I took that piece of paper right through my career it used to be in my toilet bag I used to read it in the morning and I just kept on telling myself I was going places. And some people might go, you sound a bit of a big head. It wasn't about me telling, I was telling myself to convince myself that it was in there, you know, and then eventually it clicked. Um, and that really did help me out. Yeah, believe it or not, it's um, around neuroplasticity, believe it or not. And okay. It's around, we, we use it on, on our sessions as well. So people yeah. turn up for our sessions, it's, it's positive what you're doing. Is positive affirmations. You may right. have heard that in a different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. So, so say for example, someone like me, and I'm in the depths of low mood or depression, yeah, which yeah. Where, where I've been, and I'm thinking negative all the time. I'm thinking, you know, this, and I'm, and that's the way it's making me feel. That's the way it's making yeah. me think, which makes me feel it, and then I act it. Yeah. So, what one of our exercises and one of our strategies is, we ask people around that this person. To write down what they like and admire about them. So, okay. so the husband, the wife, the brother, the sister, the best friend, blah, blah, blah. Only what they like and admire about them. And we put them in a box, a jar, a tin, an old trainee box, whatever it is. And whenever we're feeling low or down, I make myself a cuppa. And I used I use it today. Yeah, I make myself yeah. a cuppa. I sit down, I open up my tin. Mine's a tin. I open up my tin and I empty them all out. Little pieces of paper what people have wrote. Yeah, you're the number one dad in the world. Um, yeah. You're the best husband. You're the sexiest man. Off my wife, you're the sexiest <laughs> person I know. Yeah. Yeah. What it what it does, it snaps me out of it. It yeah. snaps me out of this negative train of thought that I'm stuck in, and it helps me switch it. And we call it flip the switch on it on negativity. So for every one negative thought that I think, I try yeah. and replace. I try and replace it with three positives. And it's about the neuroplasticity in our brains. I don't know all the science behind it. I'm not going to try yeah. and pretend to yeah. know it, but but literally these are some of the strategies that we use on the program to get people Brilliant. think thinking in a different way. So what you yeah. just described there is is that, but in from from self 
So, yeah. so, but he spoke that about you, so it actually fits really perfect. This is yeah. what other people see about you, yeah. and I do believe the way we think, we've got the ability to lift us up, definitely, or, or tear us down. Tear us down. But there's, yeah. but there's something in between called choice, yeah. called choice, yeah. and once you have an awareness of this, to say I can choose to think negative, all these negative things, or I can choose to flip the script. And yeah. go, no, well, actually, every every negative you can find a positive. Yeah. So it's always looking at you know we're saying that glass half empty, yeah. glass half full, yeah. and it's about retraining ourselves because we're actually drawn. If you go into the science behind it, like what we have, you're drawn to negativity. Yeah. You know, we, we're drawn. To, we're drawn to. We find it more comfortable. Than, yeah. Than someone chucking a load of praise at us, I feel dead yeah. uncomfortable with yeah, that. Yeah. Sure, sure. But if but if someone starts, I, I believe it. Yeah. When someone tells me good things, I almost don't believe it. Yeah, and that's the way our brains are sorted because we're, we're we're wired for danger. We're yeah. looking for the neg. We're crossing the road. We're looking for the negative thing. What what could come and knock me over? Yeah. So we'll stop and assess it and then move over. So we draw our brain. We're naturally drawn that way, and it's hard sometimes. We have to retrain ourselves to think in a different way, and I think that's what happened to you. Yeah, you started I think... you started thinking in a different way. Yeah, I think as well. Um... I'm, I've always been a really positive person. I think I wouldn't have had the career. I, I didn't play the highest of football, but I, would, I had a decent career in football. But I think I got there because I was mentally strong and I was positive. I always found the positive out from the negative, if you like. And people say to me, now you're really positive. But I think, I, I said just before we came on a call uh, last week, I when I am down or if I do get down, I think to myself, God, I am a positive person. And if I'm feeling like this, what's someone like without that mindset? And I think obviously that's when the trouble starts. Um, I do try and snap out of it quite quickly. And I do, you know, I do have the odd down day and I'm a lot better now than when I've finished playing. Uh, but it, it happens, you know, and every person, you know, your wife, your, your, your friends, your family, everyone's got their own struggles in life. Um, and it, you're right, it's just snapping out of it quite quickly and trying to find something positive, your kids, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever it may be, your husband. Yeah. Um, and that is important because it, you can spiral quite quickly. Um, yeah, I've seen just, friends, I've seen friends as well, you know, uh, unfortunately uh, go down that path. Yeah, and it's just, you're absolutely right. You It's about holding on to that. And, and you know, we mightn't, you mightn't feel it at the time. You may be thinking these things, but then it's a case of, well, I, and I'm a big believer, what we get people on our programme to do as well is write it down. There's, there's yeah. a lot. Of, there's a lot of things of getting it out of our heads and writing it down and playing detective yeah. with it. So yeah. why we always look at we do part of it is what's working really well in your life, and as an exercise, so we start writing it down. Okay, what are what are the areas of concern in your life? What what's worrying you? And yeah. writing them down. But at least you've got an awareness of what's going on. You oh, know, no. A lot of the time, it's just this inner dialogue, this inner sort of you know record player going stuck on certain things or negative experiences or negative things. Um, so no, no, it's great discussion. I, I do want to probe just on, on another couple of couple of things around yeah. playing playing and mental health. Um, I really struggled mentally um and got into a bit of low mood and, and stuff around injuries when I had when I had quite a lengthy injury. And I don't yeah. know whether whether you had any and whether you felt the impact of it um yeah. yourself. I'm sure if you had the career you did, you must have had a couple of a couple of nasty little ones or something, or yeah. at, least a couple, at least a couple of months. Yeah, yeah, I had a few, I had a few bad ones. Um, I think, like you said, there's, there's when you're playing football, there's two things which really hit you. One is when you're not in the team. Yeah. Um, for I think it's straight. I've been asked this question before. I'd rather be injured than be out the team because of form. Because when you're injured, everyone gets injured, and and you, you can deal with that. You say, you know what, I'm injured. I've just got to get over the injury and get back on the team. When you're playing well, or you think you're playing well, and you're not in the team, that's that's tougher to take probably because yeah. you know. You know, the manager doesn't fancy it. But yeah, I mean, I, I you know, snapped my wrist. I, I tore my hamstring really bad at Crystal Palace. And I was out for about four and a half months. And that was tough because I was we in League One then. I was flying and um, I was I was going to Norwich. There was a couple of people coming in for me. Everyone's got hard luck stories. But that was, I was 26, 27 and probably the primary career. And uh, I could have gone on to the championship, but it didn't happen. But I got quite down over that because it, it probably, my hamstring affected me um, from that age, really, from 26, 27, it was always in the back of my mind. It was going to tour it again. Um, and it's, I had to adapt my game because I wasn't, I wasn't quick, but I just, I probably played a little bit deeper, but it was always on my mind. Uh, but mentally, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Um, 
I, I was quite lucky actually, didn't have any knee problems and stuff like that, uh, any cruciate stuff. Um, but I mean, the worst one I had actually was I, I got a, I wasn't out for that long, but I got a friend of mine was playing for Torquay and uh, he elbowed me. Uh, he didn't mean it. He just, he just caught me jumping up for a header. And uh, there was 20 minutes to go in the game and um, I felt awful. I was running around thinking, what's going on here? And then I set a goal off from a corner and I remember running back and I was struggling running back to the halfway line. Uh, and then we'd, we'd made all our subs so we couldn't couldn't take me off. Um, and I wanted to walk off. I felt awful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I come in after the game and I went in to see the doctor and he said, you, you've cracked your ribs. So he sent me to the hospital and uh, the x-ray had been done a few tests and they cracked three of my ribs. And obviously for the ribs, you can't do anything. But he said to me, I can't believe you play for the rest of the game. So I said, well, I don't think I was playing. I think I was just out there, to be honest, just like trying to breathe. <laughs> anyway, that night, um, my ex-wife, who's a nurse, came into the, my apartment and said, you need to get back to the hospital. You've punctured your lung. And um, they, they'd missed it at first. So I punctured oh, my lung, cracked my ribs. And uh, that was really painful, to be fair. You yeah. know, sneezing and coughing. And they still can't do anything. But um, they were monitoring, putting a drain in me at the time and didn't say... He said, yeah, I think you're going to be right. But you know what, Phil? Honest to God, if I'll try and dig out this stats. Two weeks later, I was playing. Yeah. Wow. He put a he put a sponge, like a sponge brace around me, ribs. Yeah. And uh, I was playing. And we, we were doing well at the time. And I was doing okay. So they wanted me back on the team. But uh, <laughs> I remember playing against Darlington away, I think. And this lad, like, breathed on me. And I just collapsed. And I remember him walking <laughs> at me saying, what are you doing? Like get up and I, I couldn't say to him, I've got cracked ribs. I've got a, I've got a collapsed lung. Wait, yeah. I only, I only cracked one rib once, and it, it hit me to breathe. Oh, I, I, it, and 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 one thing you've got to do to survive is breathe. So the only way I can describe is to describe. I was just so, in constant pain. Um, yeah. So yeah. and I that was one rib. So I don't know what uh, what three was yeah. like with the, with a punctured lung. I couldn't even imagine yeah. that in That's the terrible. head. Yeah. But the injuries, the injuries are hard when you, I mean, like I said, I was lucky I didn't get any bad ones, but the through shits and stuff and lads, what people see is, they say like, I mean, look at Van Dyke now, all right, he's done his through shits, terrible, but the lad's a very wealthy man and he'll come back and he'll have a great career and he, he'll, be a very, he'll be a very wealthy man when he retires. But when you're a football league player, you know, and you might be on 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, whatever the wage may be, and that's the last year of your contract and your through shits gone. You're then in you're then in that zone where you're getting back fit next preseason. You haven't got a contract if the club don't give you one, and then all the other lads are getting let go from the other clubs. So you're in that you're in that category of going back on trial or mm. or playing trial games. You're nowhere near as fit as the other lads because you've had a year out, and that that's when I've seen it hit a few lads really hard because they can't get to the levels of the fitness they were because they're training probably by themselves. They're not at a club. That yeah. that's tough. That's really tough. And I've seen that, and that's just that. I call a sliding doors moment where one minute you're at a club, you get an injury, your contract runs out and you can't get back in the game and then you're out the game. And and that's that's difficult. That's fortunately it didn't happen for me like that, but that is I've seen that with so many. So many. Yeah. Well, you know, I completely agree. Uh yeah, I think I'm trying to think back for me is again, we talk about we talk about mental health, but a lot of it is is mindset. And you know, our company's names of all the mindset, and we're working. We're trying to open up a lot of different angles where we can work with people around having that positive mindset rather than that fear and going into a bit of sports sports work yeah. as well. Because I, th- I am a big believer in it. It's, you know, you've got the, your mindset's got the ability to lift it up and tear you down. Of but course, there's, but there's strategies that can will help if people are stuck in the in the negative frame. Um, and I think for me, I was one of them people. I think I was a barrier. I don't think I would have had a... I come out of the game very early. Uh, I, had a, I had a glimpse of a career. I went into, went into non-league and stuff. But I think I was my biggest barrier. My own mindset and my mental health, I think, was 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 my own barrier. And I think my mindset contributed to, to me towards my mental health. Yeah. Because I was constantly thinking negative all the time. I had a negative yeah. mindset. And... Yeah. Um, I, mine was always with an injury. Is someone's going? They're going to sign somebody else. You always, yeah. dread, you always dreaded, didn't you? You got a signing, yeah. a new yeah. signing in your position. Yeah. It was like it was that fear. But when you get injured, it yeah. forces them to sign someone, whether yeah, it was even on loan or. And you're thinking, oh my god, this is it. My days. That was my. That was my head. My days are numbered. Yeah. And I, I constantly had that in my mind. 
it's only a matter of time before they replace me, which was weird. I, I don't yeah. know why I was thinking that way. Yeah. You know, I, I speak to players many, many years later and they say, oh, Phil, you were, oh, you were blah, blah, blah. And they say, you were, you were amazing. And yeah. I can't believe, can't believe ball. He didn't take you to Southampton with him when he went and stuff like yes. that. And I was like, so it's all that sort of stuff. And you're like, well, well, I didn't think that. Yes. Other people saw it, like what Ray did yeah. to you. Other people yeah. saw it, but I didn't. The biggest, the only person that needs to think that way was me. Other, other, yeah. And I think working with people's mindsets on believing that you can. Not yeah. setting not setting yourself up to fail, because unrealistic, but having at least the belief that I'm looking, yeah. focusing on the positives rather than the yeah. negative side of stuff. Yeah, I think you would have, you probably would have seen it the Mike Tyson Bruno uh, yeah. documentary on Netflix, and, and he touched that. I got a bit upset actually watching at the end when he said, you know, he's clearly the guy's got issues, but he, he said, and I can relate to it. You, you, I don't know, I get it. A lot of people like this. You, his big, you know, the world champion of boxing. You know, one of the scariest men in the ring alive. And he said his biggest fear was his own mind. His, yeah. his, his mind was as big as the opponents. And he's just when you hear someone of that ilk, of that magnitude, you know, a tough, tough, crazy, tough man mm. to say, nearly holding the tears back. You know, saying that it was that was quite powerful actually when he said yeah. that. Um, yeah. I think I think like you said, you're doing great work in the area looking for and Sefton and. As men, we have the I don't because I couldn't fight sleep. But from Liverpool, people have this exter tough exterior. Men don't we tough exterior? We're all fine. Mm. No, that's not the case, is it? As you well know, and what you're doing is great. People can speak openly about certain things. I mean, I when I finished playing Phil, um, it was tough. You know, it was it was tough, and I think we've we've spoke about this. You, I was always doing things when I was playing. I was buying. I bought a sunbed shop, I, I bought students' houses, I bought trainers, sole training. You know, I was always doing things because I didn't got that much time, you know. I didn't want yeah. to sit around. I've always been quite entrepreneurial, if you like, or just doing other things to keep me busy. I want to earn a bit more money, you know, because well, you know, we ain't good money, but you're not on, like, it's life-changing money. So I was always doing things in the background. But when I actually finished playing, it was that the phone doesn't go anymore. And I've always, you know... You're always wanted by someone. Someone wants to sign you, and then when that doesn't happen, uh, you've got to like re reinventing yourself. Really, um, you got to, the ego's gone. That, 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 you've just got to flush all that away. You're not a footballer no more. It, it's gone. You're now in the real world, and the real world to a footballer or any sportsman is probably quite scary. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Was scary for me, and I remember speaking to the PFA about it, and a lot of there's a huge. Um, stats on men retiring from the game between 13, 35 or 13, 40 and getting divorced. Mm. Um, because obviously the money stops. We've all, we all live to a certain lifestyle. We've all got yeah. mortgage and cars to pay. And your money stops in July. Mm. And it's like, right, what do we do now? And a lot of the lads haven't got a backup plan. Uh, and then for the first time in their life financially, they've got problems and they've got a wife and kids and and that's a different ballgame altogether. Probably the wife hasn't worked, no respect to the wives, but they need to go and get a job. That's a different conversation. And then what are you, what are you actually going to do? Um, and when I when I finished playing, I'd set a couple of, couple of companies up, so my transition wasn't too bad. Late Nolian coming for me when I was 31 and offered me a, a two-year contract to go and play in League One. But the money they offered me, Phil, I was worse off. Because I, yeah. I, would, I would have had to live in, Liverpool, live in London I had a house back in the north. Uh, I had two young kids at the time, so it wasn't financially viable for me to go and do that. Don't get me wrong, I could have told everyone that I was still a professional footballer. Look at me, I'm playing for late on to League One, but I'm skinned. And uh, and in two years' time, I've got to go through that process again. But what I did was, I thought, you know what? Let, let's leave it, let's park it now. It, I've had a good go, but me, me, I was earning more off the pitch than I was on the pitch. So that was a... Yeah. You must have that, been tempted, though. You must have oh, been mate, I was, I was, I was very, yeah. I was very tempted. But you know what, Phil? It didn't hit me until a couple of years later, and uh, I think I told you this a week. And I still have the dream now. I used to get, I used to have this dream three or four times a week, and it'd be great to know if anyone else have, has these types of dreams or experiences. But I had a dream where, like I said, I had it last week actually, where I wake up, I'm sweating, and the dream is basically I'm in a situation where I'm in a training ground, I'm at a, a dressing room, I'm on a coach, I'm around the lads, I'm in that football environment. 
I'm putting my shorts on, I can hear the crowd, the manager's saying whatever, everything's blurry, but I know where I am. And then we're going out to play and one of like 10 things happen. I can't find my football boots, I can't find my kit, I can't find my shirt with my name on the back. And I, I used to have it, like I said, three or four times a week and it used to drive me insane. Mm. And I used to get really down about it. And I, what I took from it, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll tell me what it, what it was, but what I took from it was my career was over. I can't do it no more. I said to a guy a while ago, imagine giving a kid sweets and taking them sweets off him and saying to him, you can never have them sweets ever again. And for me and for most footballers like yourself, that's what football is. That's your, your passion, them, them sweets for you. That's, that's everything. I can't do it no more. Not at that level. You can go and have a game with five or mates. I can't even do that, Phil, because it guts me. You know what I mean? I, I can't do what I used to do, naturally. Um, and, and I really struggled. So when I seen a friend of mine, uh, Ian Oregon, who used to play football as well, he was at Liverpool, but older than me, and he was doing a lot of uh, healing, helping people out. And I went to see him, and uh, I basically broke down a couple of years ago. I just cried my eyes out and sat in his conservatory. And he said, what's up? And I told him, and I told him about my dream, and I told him about how gutted I felt that my career was over and I was saying it was okay but inside it wasn't and he just flipped it around and said Hugh you should be blessed the career you've had um, the people that you've met friends for life your memories you've done what a lot of kids would look, would, would only love to do um, look back fondly on it stop looking back negatively yeah. and just that one half an hour cup of tea conversation uh, I've completely flipped it on its head now and I do look back and, and smile and think the memories it was great and I've been I've been blessed to have been around the people I've been really and the opportunities I've had don't get me wrong I still miss it but I don't look back at it negatively now and I probably have that dream once or twice a month it's, I still get it yeah. um, but I don't yeah. feel that bad you know what I mean about it yeah no it, 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 if it hits home with, with a lot of stuff uh, here it really does what we work with people um in our in the support that we give people is stage three really of the program where they start talking about we call it taking ownership and sometimes part of that stage three of taking ownership is letting go yeah and letting letting go of the things that we don't have control over yeah because uh, we can torment ourselves internally yeah. it's like like what and you can have a look at it like again trying to use them strategies of flipping the script and that could be you know a relationship that's broke down you know, if I'm not in control of that and I'm comfortable with it, I need to let it go. Yeah. Because you know, I'm, I'm carrying it around with me. So all of this sort of resentment maybe that you may have had of the game or what you've missed or whatever you was that was carrying around. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, inside. But that could have been that way. That one cupper can, can springboard you for the rest of your life. And we, yeah. we hopefully do that for a lot of people coming on it. Because you're trying to work with them to say, what what's holding you down? What is it that's stopping you to be the best version of you? What is it that you carry yeah. that you need to have a let go of? And we work with them. Well, what can you do to control it? So on a flip side of some of the stuff, we have one young gentleman who come on. He said, it's a relationship breakdown with me family. And he said that I don't speak to him anymore. And internally, it was killing him. Yeah. yeah. And we just set him some goals. It's one of our sessions. We just set it like a little goal and said, well, are you in control of this? And he was like, well, yeah, I am. Well, how are you in control of it? How can you gain control of it? And he said, well, I can go around and start doing it. So we made a goal that he wanted to spend Christmas Day this year with a home with his family. Dad hadn't spoke for years. And he come on that one programme. I mean, we didn't see him again. And we really? thought, oh, we didn't really want to. We thought, oh, he didn't enjoy it. We got a message about, uh, you know, just after Christmas uh, and saying, thank you so much. It helped them flip the switch. It's like what you've described. Yeah. He put, some, he put some measures in place to rebuild that relationship back with his family. And he did spend Christmas Christmas Day with yeah. us. But all he was doing was carrying this around with him. It was getting him down and he was never resolving it. And it was yeah. either, or we work with people on the flip side of it is, it's that inner turmoil of, I want to fix this relationship, but I can't. And I can't, and, and I can't do it. But sometimes we have to let go of that as well. We yeah. have to just say, what am I in control of? I'm in control of my actions. If they don't want to see me or blah, 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 I'm not in control of that. I'm in control of me and I need to let it go and I need to move on with my life in a different direction. And it's really powerful to see people go on that journey with us as well. As well. Um, 
So it is that flipping the script. You had, by the sounds of it, you had that with a yeah. 30-minute 30, 30 cuppa as well. So yeah. it's very, and again, you're looking at this stuff of all the negative stuff of a career rather than the positive. So again, it's our mindset towards stuff. So it's, it fits in. Everything you've talked about there is fitted really into what we do as well yeah. and what we try, the way we try and help people. Yeah, uh, it's great. No, but, I, think, I think as well, Phil, people, I'm not ashamed to say this, but people might say to you, oh, you know, what are you being down for? What have you got to be down for? Um, you know, you've had a career or you're okay financially. You're not, you know, you're not a multi-member, but you're not, you're not homeless. You know, I don't think people actually give it the, the credit that someone helping you, just that cup of tea. Is so is so much. It can turn you around so quickly, and it did for me with, with friends. And c- certain people did say to me, "Oh, what, what, what are you going to be down for? You know, you're not you're not ill, are you?" You know, and I was like, well, "No, I'm not, but I'm struggling at the minute." And just one man to chat, and I think you find that you know the ones to go and speak to. And if people are struggling, obviously, you should come to people like yourselves and and other friends of mine who are in that business. And you think to yourself, "Well, if it, if it had only done this a few years ago." Why, why didn't they come and speak to me, mate? Instead of yeah. bubbling all of this in, you know, keeping it all inside me, and then like just exploding one day. And I think a lot of people don't speak to the partners, and they don't want to speak to probably the best friends, if you like, or because they don't want them to know that they're struggling. Um, so I, I mean, I was fortunate that one of my best friends seen it in me, and he was asking me a few times, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" Um, and I think when I see these people on on the telly who are playing now, they're very brave in coming out and saying they've got mental health issues while they're playing because, like you said before, there's a lot of work to be done around this sector. And I don't, I'm being deadly honest here, I know the majority of managers will not want a player at their club with mental health issues. And the reality is, yes, they will help the player, but let's be honest, if you've got mental health troubles and I haven't, and me and you're on the same journey as a footballer, there's not much difference. They're going to take me and not you. And, and it's quite sad that. Um, and I think that's why it's, 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 it's a reality because it's a business and the football clubs don't want probably any problem with you want lads to be you know playing well and doing whatever and having no off-the-pitch issues. But when them lads do actually come out and say, I'm struggling, the careers then, you know, it's different playing the Premier League and, and you're earning a lot of money. But for the, for the lad to be at a league club and come out and speak about the struggling off the pitch, mm. it's very brave to do that, I think. And I've got to be honest enough to say that, you know, a lot of clubs, I'm sure they'll help. But looking from a business point of view, do they want that player at the club that's not mentally right? It's the, it's a lack it's the lack of the understanding of it as well, isn't it? And that yeah. we do work with a lot of organisations, you know, educating leaders of around yeah. if you've got employees. So whether you're a football club or whether you're an organisation, you've got employees. You've got a duty of care to look after the well-being, whether that's physically or mentally. So we're doing a lot of work with with leaders to to educate them around what is the right conversations to have, how should what's how to best support someone whether you're in a workplace or you're a football, whatever that may be, what is best practice support for people at this time? And there's a lot of bad things that people do because yeah. how they do it, I don't think out of malice or, or they do it out of, out of fear or, or of not knowing what to say or do or it's just like a, lack, a lack of understanding of, oh my God, I'm yeah. out of the comfort zone here. So they act a certain way because yeah. they, don't, they don't know where that's their comfort zone. So, But if we can educate people and to say, listen, this is perfectly fine. Treated as if he's come in with a cut on his leg, you know, you know, but you're just going to offer a different type of support than what you would yeah. be applying a bandage. That's what we're trying to. That's what we're yeah. trying to get across to a lot of leaders and, and educate people as well. But you know, we're doing some good work. But there's still a lot of work for a lot of people to do. We're just hoping to be part of that, trying to help people through that transition as well. And that's what it is. We've got to move towards a more positive mental health culture within our communities, in our workplaces, in our in our lives, because. It isn't going away, you know, 40-odd percent of, this is pre-pandemic, you know, 40-odd percent of all GP appointments are now mental health related. Mental health related. Yeah. So if you're, you're, you visualise you're sat in that GP office. Yeah. yeah. And there's 20 people in the room. You know what I mean? After, practically half the room are going to go and see that doctor about a yeah. mental health concern. Yeah. But, but we, 
we sort of act like this is like the the elephants in the room. We, we act like, oh, this wouldn't happen to us or or others. When then stats tell you everything. Definitely, yeah. Um, it's, so, it's fear, isn't it? A good friend of mine, Drew Broughton, he's called he's, his, his company's called Fear Coach, and uh, it's all about fear. And um, there's, like I said, not just football. You know, people that are, are in bit that have got a job and they want to start their own business and and they want to make that jump and they don't do it because the fear of not getting that regular paycheck mm-hmm. and and other people saying to them, "I oh, don't do that. You stay where you are." Um, and then eventually they have the courage to go and do that and then they think we should have done that years ago it's just that it's just that fear of just going to do it but I understand why they don't do it because they've got families to support or whatever they've got going on Um, and fear is a huge part of mental health isn't it and and, and it it spirals doesn't it it's always what if this doesn't happen what if this doesn't happen this is going to happen instead of it is going to happen and uh, I I think that's uh, a big part of it as well and like you said in your journey talking yourself out of things when everyone around you probably think that you were really confident and you were great yeah, well, and yeah. you know all, all the rest of it but inside you're dying and, and uh, it is tough it is really tough and when you spy I, I, I had it a few times where I lost confidence in my career it's not nice it's not nice to lose your confidence and no matter what anyone says to you it's a difficult place to be uh, especially if you feel like you're not wanted or you don't fit in and you try and do that a little bit extra when really you just just make the simple pass that's yeah. what makes you who you are and then you try something different doesn't come off and it gets worse uh, it, it, it's a tough place to be in that it, it's been there plenty of times yeah. you know, plenty, plenty. Well, listen Hugh I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it I could, I could, I could chat all day uh, really no, good and hopefully we'll get you on again in the future um, just for any listeners out there obviously we are a community interest company uh, we do this all voluntary and we do need to be sustainable um, so if any organizations do would be interested in sponsoring some of these podcasts or any of our future community programs, please get in touch and you can get us at evolvingmindset.co.uk. We also offer qualifications um, in first aid for mental health. So if any organizations would like to upskill their staff or get a qualification in mental health, then please get in touch and that will help fund all the free community stuff that we put on um especially throughout pandemic but i can see it going on for quite a while um as well so hugh thank you very much for joining us really enjoyed that thank you oh brilliant thank you take care i wish you all the best take care bye